0: Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the reminder that if it were not for your mediatorial work, your work of living to make intercession for us, we would have no relationship with the Father. Thank you, Jesus, that you understand us because you became one of us. And forgive us, Lord, for not being more steadfast in our following of you. We thank you, Lord, that the elements of the Lord's Supper are representative of the body that you gave for us and the blood which you shed for our salvation. Thank you, Lord. We know you teach us in your word that we're not to partake of your supper in an unworthy way. We know there is no worth in ourselves apart from You. We know, Lord, that this is our opportunity to proclaim Your death until You come and to remember again who You are and what You have accomplished on our behalf. Lord, we come with humility. We come with joy at the same time at Your invitation to come to this table, to worship You. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me and us in the way everlasting. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I made my way to the airport yesterday in my hometown, my sister played that song. And I was saying, I sure would like to hear that song again. <laughs> and the Lord answered that prayer twice. Today I've had the privilege. My short trip to my hometown had a primary purpose of connecting with three men whom I love dearly. They're my friends. And the bond that we have is in Jesus Christ. They're brothers. One I've known for 50 years. His name is Burns. Burns is 85 years of age. He was diagnosed with brain cancer six months ago. He's been undergoing chemotherapy regularly since. He goes to work every day. 85 years of age. As far as I know, he can be trusted when he tells me for the last 40 years, he's never failed to pray for me, for my wife, and my children at least once a week. You can see why I'm tied to him as a brother, and I'm indebted to the Lord and to him. The next friend I've known for 51 years, his name is Rob. Rob and I were fraternity brothers. In fact, the way I met and he met Burns was Burns, obviously older than we, had been the advisor for our social fraternity in the university we attended. And Rob is also a businessman in the same profession, actually, as Burns. He is a devout follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves him. His reason for being is to serve Him and to glorify Him. Throughout the course of our relationship as friends, there have been multiple times when he has been sensitive to the Holy Spirit and picked up the phone and called me. And in every case, it was just at the right time. And then, the longest-standing friend, his name is D. for 52 years we have been comrades in arms Dee underwent brain surgery on Thursday for a tumor in his brain. The diagnosis and prognosis is not clear yet. But as I left there, I left with somewhat of a heavy heart, knowing that the likelihood of not seeing them again in this life is pretty strong. I think of what Helen Keller, you know who Helen Keller was, This girl who as a child, a toddler, really was blind and she couldn't speak. She was deaf and she was dumb due to some poor doctoring which she received. When she came to understand how to read and she was acquainted with God, she said, I knew there was a God, I just didn't know what His name was. This is what she said. In one of her memoirs, she says, With the death of every friend I love, a part of me has been buried. But their contribution to my being of happiness and of strength and of understanding remains to sustain me in an altered world. As I think about the... Impending loss of one or more of these men. My friends. I think about the friend who excels all friendships. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And how He's not dead. He's never going to die. He's alive. We have worshipped Him today. He's here. Praise God that He's here and He's been with us. And today we're going to look at Him as our friend. Jesus, the friend of sinners, to be exact. In Matthew 11, verse 19, the Gospel writer records how He was described in a rather sneering fashion as the friend of sinners. Have you ever stopped to think how Jesus is a specialist when it comes to befriending sinners, especially? When you look at Him in the pages of Scripture, He always seems to be in the company of needy people. And he said on more than one occasion, I have not come for the wealth. I've come for the sick. He was not talking about physical wholeness. He was talking about spiritual wholeness. There are people in this room, perhaps, who think you have no need for the friendship of Jesus because you're not a sinner. Well, if you are in the category of sinner, Take heart and rejoice, because Jesus wants to be your friend. And He's gone to the longest, deepest measure to accomplish that for you as well as for me. Well, I want to tell you one story of many which I could choose this morning from the Gospels about Jesus' friendship with the sinner Jesus was invited to the home of a Pharisee, and a Pharisee was a person who had it together pretty much. Pharisees didn't want to have anything to do with sinners, but this Pharisee was curious about Jesus. He asked him to come to his home. He was a well-to-do individual in a city that is unnamed. And when Jesus found himself there, there was a big feast in his honor. And so Jesus is reclining at table, as was the custom in Israel at That time when you ate, you reclined at table. A very leisurely kind of event. No sooner had Jesus taken His place at the table than He heard someone behind Him. As a woman approached Him, and as she drew closer, Jesus could tell she was weeping. Not wailing, but sobbing. And as the tears flowed from her eyes, they found their way to the feet of Jesus. And then she got on her knees and she took what would have been long hair, beautiful hair probably, and began to wash the feet of Jesus with her hair and the tears from her eyes. And then she had brought a vial of costly perfume and she poured it on the feet of Jesus and anointed His feet. Well, Simon the Pharisee who witnessed this, was thinking to himself, if this man, speaking of Jesus, were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this sinner who is touching him is. Well, he hadn't spoken a word, but Jesus knew exactly what he was thinking. And the scripture says Jesus said to him, Simon, I want to tell you a story. Yes, sir, he said. And he began to tell him this story. There were two men. One owed 500 denarii, another 50. And they were in debt to the same lender. They came before him and they told him their plight. And he had mercy on them and he forgave them all their debt. And then Jesus asked Simon, he said, Simon, which of these two men do you suppose had the greatest love for the man who gave forgiveness for his debt. And he says, I suppose, he couldn't bring himself to say, by all means, the one who was forgiven 500. But he says, I suppose the man who was given 500. Jesus turned and he looked at this woman speaking to Simon. He said, this woman has been guilty of many sins, and she has been forgiven of those sins, explaining why she is so emotional and so invested in caring for me. Think about this, Simon. when I came into your house, you had no water to wash my feet. You had no towel to take the moisture off and the dirt off my feet. And you had no oil to anoint my head. But this woman washed my feet with her tears and with her hair. This woman spent a lot of money to get the perfume to anoint my feet. This woman has been forgiven of her sin. And he turned to the woman and he said, Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has made you well. And lest I forget it, in both cases where Jesus speaks of the forgiveness which had come to this sinner's heart, this is what He said. He said, her sin has been forgiven and will never be remembered again. That's what He really said. By me, who is the Savior of this woman, nor by God the Father in heaven, because as far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed her transgressions from her. So we see... That Jesus is the friend of the sinners. Let me ask you again. Are you a sinner? Here's how we know whether we're sinners. We know we're sinners when we understand that the very bottom line of sin is my wanting to have it my way. When it's sort of convenient, maybe times... Sometimes I'll do what God would have me to do. But generally speaking, I'm holding all the cards in this relationship. And Jesus and God the Father really are at my beck and call, not the other way around. A great story of a great friendship that was begun that day between Jesus and this unnamed female sinner. Solomon... One of David's ancestors says this in the book of Proverbs, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Who might that be? That's Jesus for sure. In John 13, after Jesus could find nobody to wash the feet, of him and his apostles. He donned the uniform of a slave and took a basin full of water and a towel and he washed the feet of those men. And the Scripture says about Jesus in that passage, it's a stunning statement. It would miss our consideration if we were not careful. It says, having loved them in the life. He was getting ready to go to the cross the next day. Having loved him. He loved them to the end. What was the end He was speaking of? He was speaking of the end of His physical life. And where were they when He was at the cross? They all deserted Him. They didn't stand by Him. This is the kind of friend we have. He'll never leave you. He will never forsake you even when you foul up. Once you have trusted Him, going back to what Jesus said to that dear lady In the house of Simon the Pharisee. He said, your faith has saved you. Your trust in me has saved you. The way we who all are sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We who all are sinners. We are people who get the right thing done on our behalf by Jesus. By trusting our whole life to Him. Not just on occasion, but we have the intention of doing that all of our lives. Please take your Bible. Turn to the book of John, the 15th chapter. We're going to look at verses 12 through 16. John fifteen twelve says... This is my commandment. These are the words of Jesus, of course, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. And here again, let me stop just a moment. Where Jesus says, I have called you friends. We've seen how when he spoke to this dear woman whose faith caused her to trust Christ and her sins were forgiven, not just for a while, but forever. When he says, I have called you friends, the tense of the verb would suggest, I've called you friends and I'm never going to unfriend you. You're my friend for eternity. I've called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Friendship is about love. And John the Apostle in 1 John chapter 3.16 says, By this we know what love is, that he, speaking of Jesus, lay down his life. For us, reiterating what Jesus has said here in John's hearing years later when he wrote 1 John. Lay down his life for us. Look, the measure by which we would measure any thought that we might have regarding what love is, is the measurement of the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the greatest expression of love known in history. Apart from Jesus and his cross, the world would not have known what true love is. Look to the cross of Christ, and you'll begin to get some sense of what true love is. So here's a question to be asked. How does this love work out? How do we see it? Where do we see it? Well, it's in the cross of Christ. It is death on the cross. Christ's death was voluntary. Look at John chapter 10. Turn back over there for a moment. John chapter 10. Jesus says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep which are not of this fold, I must bring them also." And they shall hear my voice, and they shall become one flock and one shepherd. He's not talking about aliens from another planet. He's talking about Gentile people, non-Jewish people. And thank God He reached out to those of us who are not of Jewish descent as well. Verse 17, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. Nothing pleased the Father of about Jesus than when He laid down His life for us. Does that tell you how much the Father loves us? Unbelievable. No one has taken away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. Was Jesus' arm twisted into laying down His life for us? Not at all. It was by His own free will He did that. Though put to death by human hands, Jesus did not die as a martyr. Jesus went to the cross voluntarily, if I may say it, deliberately, from the start of His public ministry. Jesus set Himself apart for this destiny. When He was baptized, He was identifying radically. This is why He was baptized, to identify with us because of what baptism signifies when we are Lord under the water, it's a picture of how we have given our lives to Christ, we have repented of our sins, and we have received new life. Just as Jesus came up from the grave, the same resurrection power has occurred in our lives. We're new creatures, that's what the Bible says. It's amazing. The gospel writers often speak of people handing Jesus over especially as it relates to the last day of his life as a human being on the earth. It talks about how Judas handed Jesus over to the priests. And the priests handed Jesus over to Pilate. And Pilate handed Jesus over to the soldiers for his crucifixion. Human hands were involved in that, to be sure. But listen to what Jesus is described as having done in Galatians 2.20. This is Paul's testimony. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Now listen carefully. Who loved me and gave himself up for me. The identical word that's used of Jesus being handed over to the priest, to Pilate, and to the soldiers for crucifixion. On a human level, Judas gave up Christ to perish, and to the priest to hand over to Pilate, Pilate to soldiers. On the divine level, however, God the Father gave Christ up, and Christ gave Himself up to die for us. This was no accident. This plan of salvation was put together before creation in eternity is where this happened according to the teaching of the book of Ephesians. When we think of the death of Jesus, we can say, I did it. My sin sent Jesus to the cross. But also, God the Father did it. And Christ did it. God's love sent Jesus to the cross. In Acts 2.23, it's because of the predetermined plan of God, the Bible says, that Jesus went to die for us. But He was crucified by the hands of wicked men. So, we participated for sure. But the idea did not originate with us. But it originated with God Himself. And Jesus delivered Himself up. Death's a divine judgment. On our disobedience, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Death demands a wage, and it receives it. God takes no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies. The book of Ezekiel 18 tells us this. In fact, God goes on to say, since I take no pleasure, repent and turn to me. This is the plea of the holy God of the universe to us. Turn to me. Turn to me. But that same section of scripture says the sin that soul the soul that sins rather must die. No one would take Christ's life. Jesus voluntarily laid it down of his own accord. Look again at John 10 just a moment. As we finish verse 18, the second part says, I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my father. Jesus took his life up again. The last thing which he said from the cross of the seven things which we have record of, remember what he said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. I've finished what you've given me to do, Lord. I'm coming home. There was that glad reunion in that situation. So, what do we know? God demonstrates his friendship to us through the voluntary death of Jesus on the cross for us. John fifteen thirteen Again, turn back over, if you will, to John 15. Greater love has no one than this that one lay down his life for his friends. And then look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Whose idea is it for you to come to know God? Jesus, right? He took the initiative. He lay his life down, and he took it up again to go be with the Father in heaven. Here's another thing. Not only is Jesus' friendship demonstrated by his voluntary death, but also demonstrated by his vicarious death. He took our place. 15.13, look at it a little more carefully. Greater love has no one than this that one lay down his life for his friends. That innocent-looking and sounding preposition, for, is a very important word. It means literally, on behalf of. It's the idea of draping oneself over another for the protection and the deliverance of that life, that soul. That's what Jesus did for us. He took our punishment for us. How can a holy God justify saving People who are sinners like us. This is how He did it. He sent a divine substitute. He sent His Son, His only Son, Jesus, to take our punishment for us. Christ, our substitute, would receive our judgment and we would receive the pardon which we needed for our sin. This is the Gospel Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture. If we had had time, and we heard it from those who recited part of Isaiah forty fifty three, rather, or we could go to Psalm twenty two. We could go to multiple places in the Old Testament where the Messiah is predicted to be the one who would take the fall for us and be punished for us. I know you've thought about this from time to time, that the value of a love gift is measured by what it costs the giver and by the degree to which the recipient deserves it. God gave everything for us who deserved nothing. We didn't deserve it, but He gave it to us. God demonstrates His own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. False love is not all in. It withholds something. False love manipulates the person who is loved and protects itself. True love is unconditional. It's self-giving. It's risk-taking. With no guarantee of success when it reaches out to love someone... There's a vulnerability of true love that expresses itself by exposing itself to harm. That's God's love, isn't it? That's what we see in the Lord Jesus Christ. During World War II, many of you are familiar with the atrocities of Auschwitz, the horrible death camp in Poland. There was an event which occurred that angered, the sergeant in charge of a particular patrol. There was a missing tool. And to punish people, because no one would say, I stole the tool, he began to number the people off. And there were several whose number was called. And he said, You, whose number I have called, go in to the underground cell. It was a hole, really, in the ground. And you will starve to death there. There was one man who became almost hysterical, he cried out, I am a married man and I have children who are young at home. He was so paralyzed at the thought that he would leave his wife and children husbandless and fatherless without provision and protection. There was a Roman Catholic priest who was in the group whose number was not called. And he stepped forward and he said, I am a single man. No wife, no children. I would like to volunteer to take his place. The commandant agreed. And this man, the priest Maximilian Kolb, went to his death, starving to death. That's an equal for an equal. That's noble, isn't it? The very suggestion of that but Jesus is God and He did that for us. He's fully man, but He's fully God and Jesus did that. What love He substituted. So, Jesus demonstrated His friendship by His voluntary death and by His vicarious death. Here's the last thing. He demonstrated His friendship by His victorious death. This is what we're celebrating today, isn't it? The victory of Christ over death and over the devil. In the book of First John chapter 3, the last part says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. We see this, not just in the New Testament, by the way. In the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15, when God is speaking to the serpent and telling him what the curse would be upon him. And among those things which God said to the serpent is that you will bruise His heel, this would be the seed of the woman, which would translate into the Messiah. This one's heel you will bruise, but he will crush your head. It's called the Proto Evangelion, or the first mention of the gospel in the third chapter of the Bible in Genesis. And there we see the conquest of Satan predicted thousands of years before Jesus died on the cross. The conquest continued in the ministry of Jesus. No sooner had he been baptized, he was thrust into the temptation in the wilderness. But when he began his public ministry, all of a sudden demons were driven out of people whose lives they had racked and wrecked. He healed people. He Calm the storm on the Sea of Galilee by simply saying, Hush, be still. Actually, the word hush means muzzle. That's what it means. That's what He said to the storm. And as soon as that storm heard that word, it quietened and it stopped. Amazing. Jesus was always in His ministry pushing back against the darkness, against the prince of darkness. He was constantly going against Him, pushing Him back. Pushing him back. He was conquering the devil in that situation. Conquest was achieved, of course, on the cross. If time would permit, and I encourage you to look at it and think about it, Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, talk about how Jesus secured our pardon on the cross. There was a certificate of indebtedness, as it were. That we held in our hands and there was nothing we could do about it. But along comes Jesus and He died on the cross to ransom us from our indebtedness to sin. And to the indentured nature of our life in respect to the devil. And then in that same section in Colossians 2, Jesus achieved on the cross... Our victory over the predator, over the devil. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Jesus disarmed the devil. He discredited the devil. He defeated the devil. Now you say, whoa, I see a lot of devilish activity around. And you'd be right to say that. But understand that he is on a leash now. And there's coming a day when he'll be thrown into a pit and he'll be there for a thousand years when I believe Christ will reign on earth with us, his saints. And then at the end of that time there'll be a a confrontation as Satan is released and there'll be a great battle at the end and he eventually will be thrown into the lake of fire along with all those who do not know Christ. But be sure that the predator is defeated due to Christ's work on the cross. And the resurrection. The conquest was confirmed and announced and announced in Christ being raised from the dead. Thank God for the resurrection. And the last thing I've mentioned about the conquest is it has been extended and is still being extended by the church of Jesus Christ when it's on mission. Whether it's in El Paso or it's in Mexico, or it's in Africa, when we're on mission and we all are called to it, as Dan said, we're all called to be disciples of Christ, to follow Jesus, and to represent Christ well, then we are about the business of defeating the devil as well. The conquest of the devil is in our power, in a sense, we know... That the Apostle Paul said, I will not speak of anything that I've accomplished apart from Jesus Christ. And we know Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So we know we don't do it, but we participate with him in the crushing of the head of the devil. In Romans 16:20, the Bible says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Do you know what's on those feet? Our feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. It's the gospel of Jesus. It's Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried. He was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. It's the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We have the gospel. And we participate in the downfall of the devil as we share Jesus with other people. The conquest is over death too. Hebrews 2.14 and 15 talks about how Jesus became one of us in order that He could defeat the devil's power to have power of the fear of death over us. No fear if we know the Lord. Here's one last thing I want to conclude with. In verse 12 of John 15, Jesus talks about the commandment, what he gives to us, that we love one another. And then he says in verse 14, this is easily overlooked. We all want to be the friend of Jesus, but we miss something incredibly important if we ignore what he says, what constitutes friendship. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And what might that be? Well, if we go to the book of 1 John what well, we discover in the book of 1 John chapter 3.23, this is my commandment, that you believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, you trust in Him, in Jesus alone. Just like that woman who was a woman of ill repute that Jesus said, your faith has saved you. Your faith in Me, your trust, you're saved. Is what Jesus said from your sins. And then He goes on to say in 1 John 3.23, the second part of the commandment, simplified for us, is that you love one another just as I've loved you. In the apocryphal book of Ecclesiasticus, there's a great statement of wisdom about friendship. It says a faithful friend, three things about a faithful friend a faithful friend is a sure shelter, a faithful friend is the elixir of life, a faithful friend is is more valuable than anything else. So I think of Jesus as that kind of friend. Is He that kind of friend? An inviting friend? He says, come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you shall find rest for your souls. Just come to Me. Take My yoke upon you, which means submit to Me. and Learn from Me. Be discipled by Me. Come to Me. Jesus is the elixir of life. In fact, on more than one occasion, He says, I am the life. Everything else is a poor imitation that the world offers. Not life, death is what it is. But Jesus is life. And lastly, He's worth more than we can ever imagine. Jesus tells the parable in Matthew 13 about a man who was a merchant, and all his life he would look for one particular item, a beautiful gem, and he found this pearl. He happened upon it, and when he saw it, he said, I've got to have this. So he buried it, then he goes and liquidates all his assets and comes back and pays every penny he has to have that pearl of great price. The pearl is representative of Jesus, I believe. We can't buy our way into heaven. That's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is Jesus is to be everything We need to divest ourselves of whatever might keep us from holding back in our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remembering that He's a friend of sinners. Isn't it awesome to think about who He is and what He's done for us? Would you bow your head? Have you ever trusted Jesus for your life? Have you ever really yielded to Christ? Jesus is speaking to you perhaps today. And the encouragement is open your life to Jesus. Trust Him. He's your friend. And He wants to save you from your sins. But you must believe in the name of Jesus. That means trust Him and not yourself. Knowing that sin's bottom line is you're trusting yourself, not God. Would you pray and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin of independence and shift responsibility to him, saying, Lord, whatever you want of me, I'm yours. Lord, we thank you for speaking to hearts, and we pray that you would not let anyone who's heard from you today about receiving you not receive you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.